This episode of Black Millennial Money is brought to you by the good people over at Rappy Fresh. What is Rappy Fresh? Rappy Fresh is a clothing spray that's EU certified to kill coronavirus on your clothes, giving you up to four hours of protection, killing 99% of bacteria and germs on all fabrics. Now, for those of you who are trying to get lit, you're trying to go outside, but you also want to protect your family. This is travel size, 100 mil. You can take it on a plane. You can carry it in your handbag. You can pull it in your backpack. You spray it on your clothes and stay protected while you're outside. And then when you get home, you don't necessarily want to put those clothes in the washing machine. This is perfect for that. So if there's any doctors, nurses, police officers listening to this and you don't want to have to wash your clothes all the time, Rappy Fresh clothing spray is the way to do it. Head over to buyrappyfresh.com. Use the discount code BMM10 to save 10% on your next purchase. That's Rappy Fresh at buyrappyfresh.com. This is Black Millennial Money. This is Black Millennial Money, where we talk about how you can make more money, keep more money, invest your money, and spend your money on the finer things in life, all from a Black Millennial perspective. I'm your host, Joseph Oysu, and today we have an illustrious guest on the show. His name is Ross Matthew, but before we get into any of that, regular listeners, you know what I'm about to say. If you haven't liked, subscribed, and shared with your entire group chat, now is the time to do it. We're on a mission to reach 100 million people around the world with life-changing financial information, and you can be part of that. It's really simple. Click like, click subscribe, and share. If you want to take your contribution to the platform that little bit further, you can join our Patreon. The link is in the description below. You get extra access to me and the team. So if you have a dilemma, you can get answered faster. But more than that, your contributions go towards furthering this good work that we do. So if you get one ounce of value from this episode or from any other content we've ever put out, head over to Patreon, make a contribution. Last but not least, Dilemmas on a Sunday. We go live every single Sunday. Every Sunday, answering your dilemmas. So if you want to get your dilemmas answered, tune in live on YouTube at 11.30 and on Facebook Live to have those questions answered. Send them over to us at blackmillennialmoney.com or send us a message on Instagram. Now, without further ado, so you guys know the script by now. We only have illustrious guests and by that, it means you have to have done something to get onto the show. We don't just let anybody on here. And today's guest is no exception. He bought his first property solo in London. No government schemes, no incentive, no deposit from grandma, just graft and hard work focus on getting a property. He's also just bought another property that's rented out in Essex. So he's now extended his property portfolio from just buying one to now having a second property. And in addition to that, he's a regular listener to the show. He reached out to share his story and we are proud and excited to have Mr. Ross, Ross Matthew on the show today. How's it feel to be on Black Millennial Money? Wow, that was an amazing introduction, Joseph. Thank you very much. Um, I feel delighted to be on the show, man. Very appreciative for you to have me on the show. And um, yeah, I feel honoured. feel really honoured. I'm an avid listener to the show and it's amazing to be on it, man. So thank you. Now, it's good to have you here because honestly, people... We want our listeners to be on the show. And sometimes it seems like we're a little bit unapproachable where we're talking about multimillionaire person, that six-figure person, that. But we just want people who've done stuff. And sometimes that comes with a price tag, but often it comes with just a milestone like you've done where you bought your first property, age 28 in London. And we're going to break down that whole process for the listeners today because this episode is all about how you can buy your first property solo in London. No, no help from mom and, from the bank of mum and dad, no government schemes, no shared, no shared ownership, outright your home for you to get your foot on a property ladder. But before we get into any of that, we need to know the three things we, need, should, we should know about you, Ross. So tell us. Sure. Um, thank you, ma'am. So three things you should know about me. Um, 
I'm currently a member of the England karate team. So I've been doing karate since I was five years old. Uh, my my father teaches it. He started when he was 14 and then he developed his own academy. And I was part of that and, and was very um, honoured to be on the England team. So still on the England karate team, was on it as a junior and now as a senior. Um, uh, second one, I don't really want to talk about this, but so we skipped quite um, for it quickly, but I'm a passionate Arsenal fan. Um, enough said about that. And my third um, thing you should know about me is my side hustle is a fitness presenter um, slash instructor and a karate teacher. So I've taken on the skills that I, I've learned from karate and now give it back to the general public and, and to students. I'm teaching them karate and also teaching combat fitness in the community. Okay, okay. So a lot of that was quite karate themed. We're going to leave the sadness in your life to one side <laughs> and um, just focus on the karate piece. So you've been doing karate pretty much your whole life. Pretty much. I'm 32 now. So um, since I was five, since I, since I, could, I was able to go to the karate club, my, my dad used to teach me at home. And then at five years old, um, he allowed me to come to the karate club. And yeah, I've been doing it ever since. So can you basically put your hand through like a stack of wood anytime, anywhere? I can show you now if you want. Um, no, no, um, no karate, karate is not really about that. Um, contrary to popular belief, um, it, it's it's about punching, it's about kicking, it's about striking, um, and it's about um, self defense as well. So, um, although I have d- done that that work in terms of putting hand through wood, um, the karate I do now is more more types of punching and kicking um, and sweeping opponents. All right, fair enough. I, 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 <laughs> All right, you're actually a real karate purist rather than someone who just punches wood on Instagram. Fair enough. <laughs> exactly. <All right>. yeah. <laughs> Say no more. <laughs> All right, cool. So we're here to talk about how you bought your first property solo. And we really want to go slowly and understand the process. So everyone here, if you haven't got your pen and paper out for this episode, now is the time to get it out because we are going to go step by step of how Ross went through the process of acquiring his first property. It has been four years since he, since he bought his first property, but not that much has changed. Prices have shifted slightly. So you're going to, need to relook at some of these numbers but ultimately the process and focus is the same so let's get straight to it ross what's your background because again often when we hear about buying in london clearly you make six figures a year right (laughs) i wish i wish i made six figures a year um so pretty much i went university um so i've done i've done the education so obviously i went to school I went to college, um, went to university, Brunel University, and I studied digital marketing. Uh, sorry, I, I studied business studies and sports science at university. Um, after that, I got an internship in digital marketing. Um, so for the last 10, 11 years, I've worked pretty much in, di- in the digital marketing industry. So I've worked at numerous companies, um, whether it's been um, client side, so working for actual clients, or I've, I've also worked in an agency as well, so a digital marketing agency where I've learned my skills and affected my skills in digital marketing. Um, I now work for a company called AS Watson um, at, at the time of filming this this, um, this podcast. I've been there for six years and they are the company that own um, the likes of Superdrug. They own the perfume shop and they own Savers um, in the UK. And then they own um, a lot of European brands as well. So currently work there. Um, when I bought my first property four years ago, I was, I was working there um, and yeah, in the digital marketing department. Um, alongside that, um, I was I was living with my mum in Stratford, East London. Um, I was paying my mum rent. Um, so so when I um, got a job after university, 
me and my mum had an agreement that obviously I, I pay rent, I help around the house and I pay rent. So I was paying her £400 a month um, and that was my kind of um, expenses and, and my contribution to, to the keep I was at the house. Okay, so um, went the traditional route, like most people on the podcast, that have been on the podcast, but also listening. So went to uni, got your first job straight out of uni and something that is common, but also not common depending on your family is that you had to pay rent so straight out of uni can you remember what how much money you were making straight out of uni um i think i think my first well my internship was um i wasn't paid so for the first three months it was an unpaid internship so traveling expenses and, and lunch provided um and then my first job i think it was about 28k if i remember correctly um 28 pounds I, I was on uh, annual salary um, and then from then, from when I got my first job, my mum had me. My mum had an agreement that I, I paid rent, which personally I think is fair enough. Um, if I'm working, um, I, I, I feel like I should contribute to to the house. Um, to, um, yeah. Okay, so basically, you're making twenty eight thousand a year, which roughly works out, I think, to about eighteen hundred pounds take home, maybe a little bit less than that. And so, four hundred of that was coming out. So let's assume you were making about seventeen hundred. Four hundred pounds was coming out of that, so you got thirteen hundred to yourself, and you were saving. Well, you you, you could do what you wanted with your money at that point. So you were living at home, paying that, and then when it came time for you to buy your house, so presumably you're what 21 22 when you started um your full-time job and yeah. you didn't buy until you were 28 right yeah, yeah. um yeah. how much were you earning when you were 28 and including so, bonuses and anything else? anything else so when i was 28 i think i believe i was on around um 30 37k so 37 to 38k um plus about bonuses so it worked out about forty thousand, forty-four thousand pounds a year um, to 44k a year annual salary that was my um salary that was my main salary um alongside that i did have a side hustle um so the side hustle like i said in the beginning um i teach fitness and teach karate alongside my dad um so i've been teaching fitness for about 10 years so when i was about 22 i started teaching fitness um uh, uh, combat fitness so how that started um one of my friends um he emigrated to hong kong and he was already teaching fitness and I was going to his fitness class. It was like a karate to music kind of class called Fit to Fight. Um, he was emigrating to Hong Kong and he asked me if I wanted to take over his class. And at first I was a bit nervous to do so because um, I never taught fitness. I just like going to the class. Um, but I took over his class. It was in Essex, um, took over his class. And to be honest, I've never looked back. I, I, I love teaching fitness. It, it's it's a passion. Um, and, and the thing is, as well, it combines fitness, music and karate. And that's that's three passions that I have. Um, so that that's I've developed over the last ten years. Um, I've moved around um, from Essex and now I teach in East London, um, and I've built up a kind of community class there. So I teach at, at time of filming. I teach three to four times a week, um, uh, uh, fit different fitness classes, um, and and pretty much that was my side hustle. So after work, um, I used to when when people were going out um, to the pub drinking and and being sociable. Um, I was rushing to class to, to teach a fitness class, which I didn't mind because I love teaching it. Um, but yeah, that was that was that was my side hustle, and that that allowed me to increase my overall salary um, and overall kind of money I could bank um, in order to then fund getting my property at twenty eight. Okay, so for context here, um, 
you were making 44,000 a year, which is an achievable salary for most people listening to this, especially as you get to your late 20s, right? Um, making a reasonable sum of money. You had your side hustle, which was also bringing in some money, living at home. So you didn't have tons of outgoings, but you're paying 400 pounds a month in, in rent to your mom. And just to be clear, you never got that back when you were moving out or tried to buy a place, right? Uh, mom, if you're listening, I wish I got it back, but no, I didn't. No, no, I, I kind of knew I wasn't going to get it back. It was, it was going towards the house. Um, so yeah, no, I didn't get that back as like a lump sum to help me with, with the, um, with the funds. Okay, and that's a that's a good point of clarification. So now we know the background and where you were when you bought the property. What type of property did you buy? Let's get into the details of that. So the property was a three bedroom um, terraced house in Romford, so just um, uh, Greater London, so Zone Six on on the TFL row. Um And yeah, it's a three three bedroom terraced property in in a little cul-de-sac in in Romford. And. And what kind of condition was it in? Because again, a lot of people who want to buy their first property, they want to uh, to find somewhere that they can just walk straight into. Was that the type of place you bought? So no. So so I obviously looked at a lot of properties. I looked at apartments and flats. Um, I looked at houses, and this property it wasn't the condition I wanted it to be in. Um, there was a a family living in here um for tw- the last twenty five years, and it hadn't done much to the house. Um. It pretty much looked like the way they bought it um pretty much so it did need a lot of work um um so so yeah but to be honest in my my first kind of idea my first kind of um decision was to go for a house that was already done up but due to my budget i realized i weren't going to do that with the house i wanted to get so um when i was looking at properties it, towards the end of, of the property journey i then started looking at houses that i could make improvements to that i could buy um, and, and then, then, yeah, make improvements too. And then in the end, um, it worked out well because I, I've made it how I wanted it um, rather than kind of living in someone else's what, what someone else wanted. Okay, got it. And just for clarification, you said that this place was uh, was within your budget. How much did you eventually buy the property for? So the property costed um, in the end £338,000. So I think it was up for three, four, five, um, and then uh, obviously through negotiation, um, got it down to three hundred thirty-eight thousand um, pounds. And it, it, like I say, it did need modernization. It took about six months um, modernization. Um, so the, the the good thing um, and the kind of um, saving grace for me was that I, I was living at my mum's. So when when it was getting renovated, um, I didn't have to live here, li- live under like dust and. Where, where things were getting renovated so obviously i was coming in now and again to check how the progress was but i wasn't living here until it was fully fully ready okay so living at home making around 44k when you decide to buy the property you buy somewhere that needs work because your budget doesn't allow you to get somewhere finished a three hundred thirty-eight thousand pound borrowed by yourself so for those people who are clued up in the mortgage world they're like actually how is that possible when usually they're only going to lend you maybe four and a half times earnings which would put you somewhere between 250 and um 270 or something along those lines for them to borrow you that money that leaves you the best part of 50 grand short right so how much did you save how much deposit did you put down so when i i believe i started saving i've always been quite good with money i, I like to spend money on good things but I've always been quite good in saving money and so when I finished uni at 21 um I, I believe I started saving um straight away once I got my job I, I, I put um, money away and one thing I was careful about was 
where I put it. So I used to give it to my mum to hold. Um, so I, I used to tell my mum, do not let me touch it. Even if I say I need a thousand pounds, um, she was quite strict in, in in that. So if I if I ever come to her, and there was occasions where I did come to her and say, I need to take this money out. She would question me like uh, like the police, basically. Um, she had about 21 questions to say, to, to ask why I needed the money. Um, so in the long run, that did help me because I think maybe I, I would have spent some of it. Um, but over the last, over like seven years between 21 and 28, I, I managed to save 51,000 um, pounds. And that was the deposit that I put down. Um, so I put down £51,000, which was 15% of the property value. Um, the, initially, they wanted, to, wanted me to put 20% down, um, but I just couldn't afford 20%, so I put 15% down. Um, okay, so you saved up 15%, and I guess over seven years, the thing to bear in mind is that your starting salary was 28 and it increased. So I want people listening to this and like, ah, I can't save for seven years because I'm already 28. I don't want to move out of my parents' house when I'm 35. All right. But you're not, but presumably at 28, you're not making 28,000. So you can be more aggressive in the way that you save. And to put it in context, when I was paying off my debt in two and a half years, I paid off 36,000 pounds. The same logic could be I could have saved for six thousand pounds if I was just as aggressive. So there is there are ways of you doing this that don't require you to be twenty one today, right? So in addition to your in addition to the savings you had from work, talk to us about the income from your side hustle. And bearing in mind that the definition of a side hustle on Black Millennial Money is that it needs to make at least five hundred pound a month or twenty percent of your take home salary. So go for it. So, so yeah, my side hustle, it, it was taking around, after tax, around 12K a year. Um, so I developed my own, um, so I developed my own community classes. So how it worked was obviously I, I, um, I rented out halls. So I rented out school halls. Um, so I had the cost of paying the school halls. I also taught different um, brand of classes. So I had my license fees to pay. Um, but anything that I earned from the, the participants coming to the class was my money. So I took that into consideration and I incorporated my business in 2016, I believe. Um, so I ran it like an actual business. So I had um, the cost, I had I had the income coming in and I had the profits. And the profits after tax were around 12,000 a year. So just just over um, a grand a month I was making after, after tax and after profits. Okay. And when did it, so you incorporated in 2016 and you would have bought your property roughly 2017? 2018 yeah 2018. 2018 so it's only yeah. been about three years since you bought it so from what you're saying roughly the business contributed around 24k worth of that deposit if you're spitting off around 12k a year right yeah. so yeah yeah okay so you had a good side hustle there but to be clear it wasn't easy so how many days a week were you working how much graft <laughs> were you putting in yeah so it wasn't easy um it was um I was working around four days a week. So I was working nine to five thirty in my main job um, in, in the city, in uh, Old Street. And then after work, um, Monday to Thursday, I would teach classes. So Monday to Wednesday would be fitness and then Thursday would be karate. So every evening, other than Friday and the weekends, I was, I was teaching the fitness class. Um, and it, it's a sacrifice at the end of the day. Um, it is because when all your work colleagues are going out to, straight after work to, to the pub drinking or just going out to eat, um, you can't do that or I couldn't do that because I had commitments and it's not like I can just cancel a class and say, okay, people, I'm not, I'm not turning up today because 
there'll be people waiting to get fit and to, to enjoy a fitness class or to learn karate. Um, so it was a sacrifice, but it was something I enjoyed doing. Um, and I knew I had an end goal and I knew what I wanted to get. Um, and I, I always wanted a property um, that I could live in by the age of 30. Um, that was one of my goals um, when, I, when I finished uni to have a property by 30. So I had my goal um, and I knew what I had to do to get the goal. So some, like I said, sometimes where, where colleagues were going out to, to have, have a drink at the pub, I, I was the unsociable one that said, sorry, I've got to go and teach. I can maybe meet you after the class, but by then everyone's probably gone home. Um, so yeah, it was a sacrifice, but yeah, that's, that's something you have to do. Okay. So four days a week minimum a graft in to earn the additional 12 grand outside of your full-time job, missing out on socializing and stuff like that. So there is a sacrifice there for sure, but you actually hadn't saved for all the money you needed yet. You still needed to do a renovation. So the 51,000 was just a deposit. How much did you have to save for the renovation as well? So the renovation in the end, so <laughs> my budget for the renovation was around 20K um, that I believe, I, obviously I was quite inexperienced. So I kind of just set a ballpark figure of 20K that I wanted to, to spend on renovation. Um, in the end, after around six months when the renovation was complete, I think that the, the last um, sum, the final figure was around 37K, so 17,000 um, seventeen pounds over my budget. Um, but... I think with that, it, it, it does take into consideration that once you see nice things and you like nice things, um, you kind of bite the bullet and make the sacrifice to get it. So my renovation was based on like kind of doing the house to a basic standard or just above basic. Um, but then when you start looking at go, going to shops and tile shopping and what like um, different things that you want in your house, you start seeing, you start creeping onto the expensive side. So um, it did go over budget, but to be honest, I'm happy with where I'm living now and I'm happy with the way I've done it. So, Okay, so that brings us to the end of this first half of this podcast. And I just want to wrap up a couple of things where ultimately, Ross grew up in Stratford, right? <laughs> Regular, as you like, living in East London, living at home with his mom, goes to a big university, Brunel, in London with all the parties and everything else, comes out, manages to get a job right and just slowly starts plodding along saving a little bit but paying his mum paying his mum rent which he never sees again and um by by the time he's 28 he saved up enough through his side hustle which was instrumental to this to be able to buy a property that he could afford but also had some budget to renovate now not all of that renovation budget came so he had to borrow a little bit which we'll talk about in the second half of the podcast for that renovation budget. But for the most part, he saved about 70K plus for him to be in a position to buy a house and renovate it. So those are some of the key takeaways where there is a lot of sacrifice if you want to do it solo. You will have to stay at home a little bit longer. You will need to find a side hustle and you will need to save aggressively and find systems and structures to help you do that. So in the second half of the episode, we're going to go deeper into the process, some of, some of the key things that made what Ross has achieved possible, how you can do the same and also take some of your questions. See you after the break.
This episode of Black Millennial Money is brought to you by the good people over at Rappy Fresh. What is Rappy Fresh? Rappy Fresh is a clothing spray that's EU certified to kill coronavirus on your clothes, giving you up to four hours of protection, killing 99% of bacteria and germs on all fabrics. Now, for those of you who are trying to get lit, you're trying to go outside, but you also want to protect your family. This is travel size, 100 mil. You can take it on a plane. You can carry it in your handbag. You can pull it in your backpack. You spray it on your clothes and stay protected while you're outside. And then when you get home, you don't necessarily want to put those clothes in the washing machine. This is perfect for that. So if there's any doctors, nurses, police officers listening to this and you don't want to have to wash your clothes all the time, Rappy Fresh clothing spray is the way to do it. Head over to buyrappyfresh.com. Use the discount code BMM10 to save 10% on your next purchase. That's Rappy Fresh at buyrappyfresh.com. And we are back in this episode of Black Millennial Money, where we are talking about how you can buy your first property solo in London. And to be honest, this applies in any other expensive city around the world. We have a special guest, a listener to the show. His name is Ross Matthew, and he's here taking us through his process, his journey to acquiring his first property with no help from family, no special government schemes, saving up the money by himself to buy his first property in one of the most expensive cities in London. Ross, it's great to have you on the show. And my opening question is that, in the conversation that we've had so far, there were a, there were a number of key things that helped make what you've done possible. So starting with the first one, you you didn't mention it in the first half, but I know we discussed it earlier where you had a real focus on the long term. Talk to us about why you were focused on the long term as opposed to just the deposit side of things. So the, lo- the long term, I knew that I wanted a, a house and I wanted a home. So I knew that if I just got the deposit of, of 51K, it wouldn't be enough because I know I wanted to do changes to the house. Um, so I was focused on getting the deposit, but getting more more um, deposit as well, ju- just to be on the safe side in case anything happened and also for renovations as well. Um, so I knew my target was a lot more than just saving up for the deposit. So when you... Well, you had the option of putting down a 10% deposit, a 15% deposit, and they even wanted you to put down 20%. When... What what was your motivation to not just take the remaining five percent for yourself? Was it what, what were you thinking in that regard? So um, speaking to a broker, um, so I, I I kind of appointed a, a broker to help me um, get the mortgage and everything like that. And speaking to him, obviously he came back with different um, scenarios. And what I found was that if I put fifteen percent down as opposed to ten, um, first of all the interest rate will be lower um, in terms of when, when I'm borrowing for the mortgage. So that means my monthly payments would be lower. Um, so, and I'm a person I'd rather, I'd rather be broke for a month, knowing that I've got another eleven months to get a certain month um, monthly income, rather than monthly payments every month coming out. Um, so that, that's just me. That's just a personal kind of choice that that I've always grown up with. So I'd rather bite the bullet, kind of um, put fifteen percent down but then know that my monthly payments will be a lot less than if I had to just put 10% down. Um, and your, your buying power is a little bit more with that um, because you're putting a, a larger sum down. Yeah, exactly that. And one of the things that I saw a lot when I was in the car space, so I, I started my career selling cars, a lot of the listeners know, a lot of people come ready for the deposit. Oh yeah, I saw the advert, it was two grand, it was three grand, it was even five grand. I've been saving up and I'm ready to get this car. But the monthly payment is 300 pounds a month. Before fuel, before insurance, before tax, 
before servicing and all of that good stuff. And the same applies to your home. So if your mortgage is 70% of your of your take-home salary, you haven't fed yourself, you haven't paid no bills, <laughs> you haven't paid for travel to work, this is where looking at that monthly payment and maybe grafting a little bit harder to get an extra deposit to reduce your interest rate because that, that interest rate alone can... For example, my interest rate went up by just 1% because I couldn't get the deal that I wanted when I was buying my place and it pushed my mortgage payments up by over £100. £100 extra every single month. So that makes an appreciable difference just on the interest from 1%. 100%. And I knew from, from a friend who had recently bought as well, he bought a year before me, um, that was the case as well. So so it was the case where he went for a higher deposit um, and his he told me the monthly payments would be a lot lower than if he had just put 10% down. So I kind of learned from his experience as well and I used the broker that he used and, and it was it kind of come out the same. So yeah, I'm all for lower monthly payments but kind of um, putting a bigger bigger deposit down um, if you can, obviously if you can. Okay, and if you can, I think the opportunity is there for everybody because talking about bigger deposits, side hustles, your side hustle was essential to your ability to not just get the property, but to be able to afford to renovate and even to afford to comfortably pay your mortgage because essentially your side hustle makes enough money to pay for your mortgage, right? So talk to us about the difference your side hustle really makes to your day-to-day now that you're in the place. 100%. So it it definitely, so I'm still regularly teaching. I'm not teaching as much as I was pre-COVID. Um, just because I value over COVID, I've, I've come to realize valuing time over money. Um, so I've kind of lessened my classes and reduced the amount I'm teaching, but I'm still regularly teaching three classes a week, um, as opposed to four. Um, and then sometimes weekends, if there's any other, if if there's any fitness events that people want me to teach at, or I I run my own fitness events on the weekend sometimes, um, which all helps. It all, all kind of brings in income or brings in regular income to then help you, um, manage the mortgage and manage the living costs um and it, it's something that i enjoy so i i believe i would never do a side hustle that i don't enjoy um just because work is enough at, at doing a nine to five and then to come to go straight to to your side hustle you need to be able to enjoy it i believe anyway um there, there are friends that i know that kind of have a side hustle that they don't really like but they're just doing it it's a means to an end um but for me I, I i always say i prefer to do something i enjoy and, and it doesn't feel like work that I, I can't remember the exact quote but it's something like if you do something you love you'll never work another day in your life and i really don't believe that teaching fitness for me is work because i love it i love seeing people um, um enjoy it i love seeing people progress um lose weight increase their fitness whatever it may be and for me it's rewarding um and, and same with karate seeing little five-year-olds develop into 15-year-olds who um, go through the ranks of karate. It's, it's rewarding for me and it is, it's something I get paid for, but it's, it's something that um, really increases my intrinsic motivation. So I definitely believe the side hustle um, is, is definitely something that has helped me. Insane. And I just want to clarify one point specifically because you, you are in a great position where you love your side hustle. But if someone is really focused about getting their first property, particularly if they're unwilling to move out of London or in a, or an expensive city, wherever that may be, 
you may have to do a side hustle you don't like, but there's a finite timeline for it. And particularly with you, Ross, like even though you loved your side hustle, you, I bet you didn't love doing it four days a week, which is why you scaled it back to now doing it three days a week. So even if you love it, the level of which you have to do it at to get what you want, which is a property in this case, may require you to just grind it out f- for a couple of years just to get you to the other side. And then you can adjust or change completely what you're doing for the extra income. And talking about managing your costs and extra income you actually live with your cousin what was the what was the rationale behind that because again buying your first property no matter how many bedrooms you have doesn't mean you have to live alone and pay all those bills by yourself so talk to us about your thinking with your cousin moving in so of course yeah so um when i first bought the property obviously it's a three bedroom property um i'm i'm on my own um so initially i was thinking about getting a lodger um spoke to various friends and family about getting a lodger um, and I was really considering it, like putting putting an ad out on spare rooms or something like that. Um, I was a bit reluctant to do it just because I didn't know who I would get and who would be living with me. Um, and it's the first time I've actually moved, other than uni, the first time I've moved out on my own. Um, and I was thinking, do I really want to live with someone I don't know? Um, I don't know how they're going to be. Um, and it just so happened that at the time, um, my cousin was in a situation where he needed to move out where he was where he was living currently. Um, so, and we, we grew up together, he's two years younger than me and we're really close. So I just said to him, why not move into mine? Um, I've got a spare bedroom there. Um, and, and it kind of worked. Um, and he's been living there for about two years now. Um, so I've had the property for just over three years and yeah, he's been living there for about two. So it's kind of worked. Um, obviously he's, he's got a roof over his head and, and he's bringing me income as well. And it's a, it's a room that I probably wouldn't have done anything with for now anyway. So it kind of it's kind of win-win for both of us so and let me know if you don't want to answer this question but how much is your cousin paying in rent because that would be a good indication for what other people can hope to achieve particularly if they've got a friend or someone close or a family member who you don't really want to charge rent but you know what's reasonable yeah yeah so i i charge 500 pound a month so it's 125 pound a week um which i think for the area and for for what what um the space is, is it getting is I think it's reasonable. And does that include bills or are bills on top? Yeah, yeah, no, including bills. So just five hundred pound a, a month, yeah, including everything. Okay, so that's a pretty good deal. Yeah, a pretty yeah, good yeah. deal for London. Five hundred pounds a month, and what that allows you to do is essentially a good chunk of your mortgage is paid from your from your cousin living with you. So again, getting your first place solo is hard enough. Living with that mortgage isn't fun but if you can find a way to offset it by having more people involved and actually helping someone out who you care about it's a win for everyone right and when it came to the renovation as much as you overspent i think you did something that was that was really crucial to um making sure that it wasn't even more expensive can you talk to us about how you used your network yeah so i i've i've got a big family um so i've got another cousin who has his kind of property renovation business um so he's by trade he's an electrician but he has a network of plumbers um and 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 builders and, and contractors who who do laboring so i kind of utilize him and his network um so he kind of managed the the kind of renovation of the property he did the electric work and then he he um summoned the, the work for from his um, colleagues to kind of help with the renovation so so yeah kind of even though Obviously, I still paid. Um, there, there was things where I could get a discount from, or 
I could where he'd make normally make money off um, charging charging someone else a, a fee on top. He would give me cost price on certain things, so it definitely helped, and I'm very grateful for that. Um, so I always recommend people use their network. Um, it's always it's not always good working with family. Depends what your relationship with it is. Um, but if you can, if you have a good relationship and a good understanding, and set your expectations out from the beginning. I definitely think it's a win-win for both of you. Um, he gets your business and I, I kept the money in the family pretty much. So um, it, yeah, it kind of worked for both of us. I think this is something that transcends this conversation and applies to a lot of the things we talk about on Black Millennial Money when it comes from whether it's you starting a new business, whether it's you looking at making a career change, whether you're trying to invest or acquire your first property, it's crucially important that you let people know what you're trying to do because you honestly don't know who knows who, who has access to what, and who's already been there and done it. So throughout this process, there's a number of key things that actually came about because other people knew. So um, knowing how much deposit to put down, speaking to your friend about it, meeting their broker, which helped you get a good deal and make sure that your monthly payments were lower were, was important. Um, side hustles, that came because your dad taught karate and then your friend was moving to another country because you were already in that world, you were already part of his class. You're like, he was like, can you take it over? All makes sense. Even when it came to saving the deposit, your mum was your accountability, your accountability partner. So as much as we're talking about doing this solo, you do have a team around you. You do have people around you. You do have a community around you that's going to help you get there. So I think that is a key thing to take away from the process in which that that Ross took here. And the last thing I really, I really want to call out is we did mention that you had to borrow some money to finish the renovation because even with your cousin's discounts and the mates rates and whatever else, you still overspend a little bit because everybody does, particularly when it's their home the place that they want to stay they want a little bit nicer whenever they see the option how did you navigate that process so i I've, like i said i've always been really good with money um my, my dad's quite strict in terms of not he's never had a credit card um uh, and my mum as well actually they've, they've never had credit cards um and they've always kind of taught me don't spend money that you don't have um but i've been quite smart in terms of I did I did get a credit card so I applied for a credit card um before I even started the renovation just because I thought if I do need some money at least I've got it there um but what I did I, my credit score was quite high at the time so I was able to get interest free credit card for I believe it was about 24 months um so for 2 years it would be interest free um and I'm a big believer of not getting in debt but if you have to get in debt then don't pay more than you need to so like I said, the interest, the, the credit cards was interest free. I think it was a 7K limit um, and I maxed out that limit, but I knew that I would pay the monthly payments and um, in the end, I wouldn't pay any more than 7K. So I'd, I'd make sure I paid that 7K back within the 24 months so I wouldn't get charged any fees. And I, I'm, I'm quite strict in terms of making sure I've got enough money to pay the minimum, at least the minimum monthly fee um, so I don't get charged any extra. Um, because I, one thing I do not want to do is give extra money to any credit card company. Um, but like like you said, I, I did need to kind of get the help from that because I didn't have that money to myself. But um, I believe it did help or it did help me help um, get what I wanted to get for the house, the renovation. And again, another key point on that where we've seen it with, with the property experts we've had on the show before whenever you're looking at a renovation or whenever even you're looking at acquiring a property it's important to have a buffer of cash whether that's money that you've saved which is ideal because everybody knows how i feel about debt on this show by now but if you have your own buffer of cash 
it makes a massive, massive difference. And strategically applying for a credit card before you apply for your mortgage, because often when you get a mortgage, your credit score goes down for three to six months afterwards because you've got a large credit commitment and they want to see you make some payments on that before they, they can see where your credit score lands. Like my credit score today, after completing my property almost a year ago, is lower than it was when I bought it, right? But you have the opportunity to get that credit card nice and early just in case you need it. And if you don't need it, close that account immediately and cut the card in half and don't ever let them catch you slipping. <laughs> but, but Ross, so far, we've kind of made it seem like it was all plain sailing, like everything went perfectly. But there were some challenges in this process and a lot of people will find these challenges. And one of the, one of the challenges you had initially was that you were buying as part of a chain. Can you sort of outline what a chain actually is and how it affected your purchase? So yeah, what a chain is, is that you're not just buying from someone who doesn't need to move anywhere. So I was buying from a family who lived um, here and they were moving to uh, Milton Keynes. So they needed to um, buy a house, obviously, and that house was occupied by somebody. So they're in a chain because that person in that house in Milton Keynes then needs to sell their house, but they need to move somewhere else. So some chains um, in experience talking to people can be five, six, seven pieces long because this person needs to move and that person needs to move but um luckily this chain was quite short but it was never nevertheless it was a chain so the person the family living here did need to move to milton Keynes, but that person living in milton Keynes did need to move out so um what happened there one of the challenges was that was um before we exchanged the the family that was living here was adamant that they'd be able to move out on a certain date um so we agreed an exchange date and um for, for those that don't know when you agree an exchange date that is pretty much final you've signed the contract to say you're going to hand over the keys on that date so if anything goes wrong then there will be fees involved because if you don't meet that date um people will get charged depending on who who's um responsible for failing to meet it um and what happened was there was a certain date uh, um in april that um we agreed and then two days before that date um the family living in this house that, that i'm in now um said they wouldn't be able to move um just because the the house wasn't ready um but we had already agreed a date so my fear was that the chain would fall through um because they weren't going to move out the house and i had already agreed to move in um luckily and, and thank god that um things went went uh, ended up working out and they did move out um i think one day after the exchange date so there was some charges on their side that they had to pay just because the date wasn't met. Um, but it wasn't too much just because it was only one day over the day. Um, so that was one of the challenges. And I, I, I did fall in love with this house and I really was nearly gutted that I would have lost it um, because I did have a lot of viewings that um, I, I didn't want that house and that this house I really wanted. So, um, But luckily, um, like I said, it all worked out in the end and it didn't fall through. Um, but yeah, just a few hiccups along the way um also there was a few um previous to this um there was a few offers that that i got declined from various properties that, that i um offered on um and and it's kind of disheartening when when you see something and you think you start thinking about how you could be living there what you could make of the house and then you put an offer in um and then you're waiting for them to get back to you and then they decline it then you try and make another offer and decline it again and then you find out that the property is now gone and taken um so yeah a few challenges along the way 
Um, but I don't think the challenges are too dissimilar to what most people kind of experience um, when they when they're first buying a property or when they're buying properties. Yeah, and they are they are they are common challenges, but they're frustrating challenges, and they're challenges that can catch you off guard, particularly when you're new, you're doing it by yourself. So it's a lot more money for one person to be thinking, "Am I going to lose all of these legal fees that I've paid and all of this other stuff? Am I going to have to start saving for another four months if this doesn't work out?" So it can have some serious implications, and something else that sort of set you back is that you thought the renovation was going to be more straightforward but you ended up renovating the whole house didn't you yep exactly so as it goes um there were there was there was there were some rooms that were okay in the house so i thought uh, i'll leave those those rooms but um as it happens once you renovate one room um that room looks all nice and, and new and modern and then you walk into the the room that's already there um and you feel like it doesn't go with the house so then you want to re- renovate that room and then the other room you walk into, you want to re- renovate that room. And before you know it, you've renovated the whole house. Um, so that's why my um, my whole renovation cost was over budget. Um, for example, um, upstairs in the bathroom, in, in, in the bathroom, it was a separate toilet and bathroom. Um, for me, I wasn't too keen on that. So I had to smash down the wall between the bath and, bathroom and the, and the toilet which did, um, it kind of brought some problems, but then they were fixed, but then that cost a little bit of money as well. Um, and, and so, yeah, so unexpected costs. Um, and now the whole house is renovated. I would, I think, think I would have kicked myself if I had renovated most rooms and then I walk into a one room and it's not renovated. I'd just be like kicking myself. And I think if you can do it all at once, just because, before you know it, um, when you're renovating, it does get very dusty. Um, my dad's renovating one of his rooms at the moment and um, he's living there. So I know how dusty it can get. Um, and even when coming to his property um, to see the progress, I saw how dusty it was. So my my thing was renovate or get get all the mess out of the way. And then I w- hopefully I won't have to do it again in the, fu- well, in the near future. Um, but yeah, it did come as a cost. Okay, so... So far, we've covered the process to buying it, the challenges you had, some of the strategic things that you did that really came a lot from your network and letting people know that you were in the property market. So you've made this first acquisition. It's been a few years. What's next for you? What are you working on now? Um, so obviously, COVID hit um, at the start of 2020. Um, by, but, uh, by then, I was I had been saving up um, some money because... I really enjoyed the. I did really, really enjoy the renovation process. Um, it, obviously, my house. It, it was the first house I renovated, and I enjoyed seeing the before and after. Um, working from home as well. Um, avid watcher of Homes Under the Hammer. So obviously, I never watched that. Re- never really watched it before because it's daytime TV. I'm I'm at work, um, unless I call in sick. Um, but being at home, working from home in my daytime job, uh, I became an avid fan and. That alongside renovating my first property, um, it gave me a keen interest in in wanting to do it. So I was a bit more keen to save up. So within um, my side hustle, so obviously during COVID that stopped, um, I wasn't able to do classes, but then I took it online like most people and we had to diversify and we had to find a way. So I took it online and I was still able to make some some, um, regular income by doing online classes on YouTube um and then i managed to save up a deposit um 
or half a deposit. And then I bought a buy-to-let property in February 2020 uh, with my mum. So my mum had some savings. Um, I, I saved up a, a bit of money. Um, obviously, with with the second property, you have to put 25% down, So which is a lot. Um, so I can ne- I wasn't able to afford it on my own. So I went in with my mum, family member, obviously, I can trust. Um, and yeah, we bought a buy-to-let property in February 2020. Again, it needed renovation work. Um, we spent about £12,000 on the renovation work. So not as much as my property, um, but £12,000 on renovation. And it got rented out in June 2021. So between we bought it in February, end of February. And within three months, um, we was able to kind of rent it out. And it's now being rented. Um, and that, that property is in Essex, in Grays. Um, yeah. So that that's kind of what what was next, and I really enjoyed the process um, of buying buying the house and renovating it. So I think in the future, in the next five years, my plan is to get a few more, maybe three or four more properties, renovate them, and rent them out. Okay, so again, and I said again so many times in this episode because it feels like some of the core lessons that we talk about regularly are the essentials to getting yourself in a position to buy your first property and then position yourself to actually then start investing and building wealth and building an asset, building a portfolio of properties, which many people aspire to, right? So again, your side hustle made this possible. It definitely supported it by allowing you to save more quickly, but also, again, using your network, talking to people around you, having them involved in the process meant Obviously, your mom wanted to be part of this. She had seen what you did with the first time around and said, maybe he's no clown. Maybe he's no joke. We're not going to lose any money on this, right? And now you've invested in the property together with your mom and you guys can continue to do this over the next two to three years, five years, you said you want to be getting many more properties. So you've acquired your first two properties within three years. Over five years, knowing what you know now, there's a good chance you could grow much more aggressively than that. And just to reiterate, that opportunity is available for everybody listening to this podcast. Ross is a special guy, but he's not that special, right? <laughs> he's got a lot going for him, but he, he doesn't have two brains. He doesn't have two heads. And yes, he can chop through wood, but that doesn't help him get mortgages, right? And anyone can do it. And like, like you said, anyone can do it. Um, you said it, it does need, it does sometimes need sacrifice. Like you said, um, side hustles and sacrificing, not going out as much or not going out after work to, to kind of work on your side hustle. Um, but like you said, um, it's possible. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we've got some of your questions as in listener questions and watchers on YouTube about property. And one of them is from me as well. So I, I'm curious with this, but let's start with the first question. This one's in from Kelly. And how much do you think I need to buy in London now. So basically, how much money, how much deposit do you think someone needs to buy in London now? This is a Googleable question, but Ross, you've been there and done it. So, um, what do you think is an, a reasonable number for someone to buy in London now? Because prices have gone up since you bought. Of course, yeah. Like I was just about to say, prices have gone up um, since since 2018 when I bought the the first property in London. Um, also, it obviously depends where in London. Um, if you want to buy in Mayfair. Um, you're going to need a hell of a lot more than if you want to buy just on the outskirts or Greater London, which is still in London. It's a London borough where I live, um, but it's, it's classed as Greater London. Um, but I would say anywhere in the region of 
40 to 50, I'd say in anywhere in the region of 35 to 50K as a deposit. Um, but bearing in mind, you will need to, to kind of um, have a little bit of buffer for fees, um, which could be up to five to six thousand pounds, depending on um, where the property is and solicitor fees. And if you're going to use a broker and also stamp duty. Um, so, yeah, I'd say in the region of 35 to 50K, depending on where um, in London. I didn't buy my property in London, but I'm going to be a bit more aggressive and say, I would say you need between 40 and 60K just to be safe. You may not spend all of it, but it having more money has never been a bad thing. So, <laughs> so I would say 40 to 60, depending on what you're going to buy. But, but we're there or thereabouts on those numbers. Um, so the next question is, Ross, what type of side hustles would you recommend? And that one's coming in from Jeremy. Um, something you enjoy. I, I think I said it um, earlier in the podcast, but some 100% something you enjoy. Um, like you, Joseph said, it doesn't have to be something you enjoy, but I think it just makes it a lot easier. Um, so I've had conversations with my friends before, re- very recently actually, in terms of what he could do, in terms of what um, what he could do as a side hustle. And he like he loves nutrition. He is very sculpted um, and he, he loves eating well. And if he can kind of promote that in, in and, and help other people to eat well and sculpt their body like he does, um, he can turn that into a side hustle. So I think it's about thinking about what you like, what you enjoy, um, and and going from there. And and also everything's going digital now. Everything's going online. So I definitely believe that that's the way of the world. That's where things are going. So anything that you can promote online or you can do online, you'll be able to do anywhere. Um, with mine, I have to unfortunately be at the class every single every time I teach. So it's it's uh, other than the online classes but um when you're physically teaching if i don't turn up i don't get paid um so whereas if there's an online business someone can do you can be in the other side of the world and still be making money like a lot of people are at the moment um so there's 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 tons and i I think it, it depends um what what person you are if you if you like online and you want to be just online doing stuff in the background then definitely something online if you want to be around people um, and you're a people person, then I definitely suggest something that um, it, it, you enjoy doing um, around people. Okay. I think all of that makes sense where there are some challenges to side hustles. There are some difficulties around it, but using the example of your friend, he's got skills. Like most people listen to this have skills that other people may be interested in buying. And something that I think is slept on in a highly digital world is doing stuff in the physical world because your side hustle is actually, it seems inconvenient because you have to be there, but your time is really, really well used because um, I'm going to guess here that that your class is, in fact, how many people are in your average class? Uh, in your average class, you can get about between 30 and 50 people in a, in a fitness class. So the hall is big enough to, I've had to kind of um, reduce the size just because of COVID and, and social distancing. But um, pre-COVID, there was anywhere between 30, 30 to 50 to 60 people in, in the average class. Um, okay. Yeah. So let's say you've got 30 people. How much are you charging per head? Um, generally seven pounds. So seven pound a class. Um, yeah. So for a one hour session, your hourly rate is 210 pounds. And I know that's not all profit. Yeah. Yeah. I know that's not all, that's not all money going into your back of your pocket, but I know 
at, at least you're going to have 70 pounds in an hour going into your pocket. Some people are making 70 pounds a day. And to be honest, if you're on around about 24, 25K, you're making 70 pounds a day. Whereas if you put an hour into this side hustle after work where you can get scale, so it's one to many. So for most sports, you can do your coaching badges for less than a thousand pounds. Some of us went to schools where our PE teachers weren't that great, but they got paid a salary for it. If you can do marginally better than that or even match the level of the average PE teacher, you could get paid to do some sort of physical activity class, whether that's for children or whether it's for adults. And if you have a big enough class, your hourly rate goes through the roof. So one hour's work is equivalent to one day's work at your full-time job, depending on how much you earn. So I think in a digital world, yes, everything wants to be online, uh, location freedom, I make money while I sleep, et cetera, et cetera. But there are lots of opportunities in the real world where you can actually make good money. And if you're if you're not physical or not athletic or anything and you're just smart there's tons of tutoring places looking for people who want to teach maths english science if you're if you if if you are someone who knows anything about coding right now trust me you can make a lot of money tutoring people we had aisha on the show who makes in her best month she made over 5k teaching people for their 11 pluses that's an exam that 11 year olds take to get into certain secondary schools it helps if you've done that exam, but if you've got great GCSEs or great A-levels, these are opportunities available to you, right? So all of this are things that, that are opportunities that are often underutilized. So Jeremy, that's the answer to your question, I think. If you can't find something digital, find something physical, but that has scale, where you can do one to many quite easily. Even if there's only 10 or 12 people in your class, 10 or 12 people in your class, you're still making good money for an hour's work, maybe two hours work, and you could charge per hour. So I think that was a really interesting question. And, and Ross, thank you for sharing your insights in that because you've done this and you know it's a bit of a grind, but ultimately you're, you're doing the digital side as well as the physical side. And you tell me, which bit do you make the most money from? Um, I, I make most money from digital. So my full-time job, it makes, it makes the most money in terms of profit-wise because obviously there's no cost. No, sorry, I meant digital classes. Oh, did you, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Oh, sorry, digital classes. So in terms of profit, um, there was a point where it was, online was making more money um, than the than the um, physical one just because it's scalable. Like you said, um, I can have untold amounts of people in the class because it's on YouTube. So um, yeah, anyone can go. Whereas when you're physically um, in the class, you've got a certain amount that can, can do it, especially with COVID as well. Um, so initially it was online. Um, but to be honest, I believe a lot of people got fed up of online um, in the long run. Um, people, especially when gyms open back up, people just want to get out in the community and, and do classes again because you don't really get with with my classes. Um, it's based a lot around music um, and 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 good feeling music. So people really want to feel the energy, and people people do feel the energy when they're in a physical class. So I think they prefer that than the online. Online's good for convenience. So I've seen the kind of switch now where at the start of COVID, everyone was kind of online. Everyone wanted to be online just because there was nothing else to do. Um, and then now gyms are open back up. Um, yeah, online's still good. So I still do online um, as a on demand service. But definitely my physical classes are, are um, working a lot better than the profit. That's interesting. So I think the hack here, and I know we sort of slid into side hustles a lot, but I think 
it's going to be essential for a lot of people. The hack here is if you can do something physically in person, record yourself doing that, and then share that online as an on-demand service that you charge a monthly subscription for, you can have the best of both worlds from a digital standpoint. So I think that's a super interesting opportunity. And Ross, if you're not doing that fully now, probably want to start. No, no, that, that, that's, it. that's exactly what I'm doing. So with the live classes, because I did a year and a half worth of online classes live on YouTube, they're actually stored on my YouTube channel, but just private. So what I do now is kind of make them as an on-demand class. So anyone that wants to kind of work from home, work, work out at home, um, they pay a monthly subscription or they can do a pay-as-you-go class, just download it for a week, have access to that class before it goes offline. Um, and so, yeah, so I've kind of utilized that a bit um, and, and kind of been smart about trying to use um, online. So, yeah, that, that, and that, that's a recommendation to, to people that things are filmable now things are uh, you can you can utilize um things over and over again so yeah definitely online is really good um and, and yeah that's amazing that's amazing i think that's really really cool my last question this is my personal question right um how much money like what's the minimum salary you think someone needs to be making now to be able to buy in London? Because I think there is a bit of a misconception about how much money you need to be able to borrow in London, but yeah. Um, so I know it's around, I know the banks will borrow around 4.5 times your salary. Um, I believe. So if, if you're on a 50 K salary, that's what, um, 250 K. Um, so I believe, uh, probably around 70 60 to 70,000 pounds a year um total so like like we we discussed in the beginning my job wasn't paying me that um so that that's where the use of the fitness classes and karate came in um but if you're on a salary of I'd say 60 to 70k depending on where where in london it is you'll definitely be able to buy in london and obviously depending on your deposit as well um if you can manage to put a bigger deposit down then you'd be able to, you wouldn't have to borrow as much. Um, and then, yeah, you can, you can save from there. Okay. So 60, 70K is realistic. Anything less than that? I think the answer is aggressive saving, which is basically what Ross did. He was on 44,000, including bonuses from work. And some people don't even get bonuses. So with that, he basically had to save double his salary in order to be able to buy so that's a good that's a good benchmark for people who make less than 60 70 but also sets a target for everyone else can you get to 60 70 can you save essentially your yearly salary and have that available as a deposit and a little bit of cash on the side and access to maybe a little bit of credit that's going to allow you to close on your first property if you want to buy it by yourself in London. So that brings us to the end of the second half of this episode, but stay tuned because we're about to go over the quick tip and the three things everyone listening right now should do to buy their first property solo in London. See you after the break. This episode of Black Millennial Money is brought to you by the good people over at RappiFresh. What is RappiFresh? RappiFresh is a clothing spray that's EU certified to kill coronavirus on your clothes, giving you up to four hours of protection, killing 99% of bacteria and germs on all fabrics. Now, for those of you who are trying to get lit, you're trying to go outside, but you also want to protect your family. This is travel size, 100 mil. You can take it on a plane. You can carry it in your handbag. You can pull it in your backpack. You spray it on your clothes and stay protected while you're outside. And then when you get home, you don't necessarily want to put those clothes in the washing machine. 
this is perfect for that. So if there's any doctors, nurses, police officers listening to this and you don't want to have to wash your clothes all the time, Rappy Fresh clothing spray is the way to do it. Head over to buyrappyfresh.com. Use the discount code BMM10 to save 10% on your next purchase. That's rappyfresh at buyrappyfresh.com. And we are back on this episode of Black Millennial Money, where we're talking about how you, yes, you can buy your first property solo in London. We have a special guest, Ross Matthew, on the show, and he's going to give us a quick tip. So, Ross, over to you. So my quick tip of the day is, I think to buy a property in London, you need to be willing to sacrifice something, um, either money or to do more work, particularly in London. So for me, what that meant is that I'd sacrifice going out with work colleagues after work, um, whereas traditionally they'll go out um, Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday. Um, and and in, in the city, Thursday is the new Friday. So everyone wants to go out on a Thursday. Um, but I couldn't. So I was teaching karate or fitness on a Thursday. So being being willing to sacrifice that um, to work on your side hustle or to work on, on something that's going to propel you to, to get an extra income or be able being able to get that deposit and, and that salary. Um, also, so from my experience, um, it's not just sacrificing the hour that I'm teaching um, fitness or, or karate. It's also about sacrificing the time for planning um, because obviously with, with fitness, um, there's a musical playlist that goes with it. So being able to download songs or find new songs or find new, um, a, a new playlist to, to do moves to and then also it's about putting um, the choreography together. So even though I'm, I'm a trained karate and, and trained fitness instructor, it does take some planning to uh, develop a, a class, a class program f- and, and not make it boring each and every week. Um, I've been teaching fitness for, for 10 years now. So if I did the same things I was doing in year one and year, in year 10 now, um, I'm pretty sure I wouldn't have the say the amount of people I do in my classes. So you need to be able to kind of adapt and, and kind of uh, diversify what you're doing um, and that takes time so when when I, when people want to have a phone conversation or want to go out um, I might not be able to just because I'm, I'm doing the playlist or I'm setting up uh, my music and, and, and kind of doing things like that so definitely um, sacrificing that is is a, a key to, to finding um, your success in property amazing thank you for that and it's really it sounds so obvious it sounds so obvious that there will always be a price for what you want and often people only look at the list price but there is time and energy and effort that goes into getting to the next phase because ultimately buying a property is going to a new level in your life it's a simple fact you are going from one state to another state and there was always a price to pay so thank you for that quick tip ross and now it's time for the three things everyone listening to this right now can do to get ready to buy their property solo in London, to get their foot on the property ladder in London. So these are the things you can take your headphones out right now and start implementing. Second, you park the car. What are those three things, Russ? So I'd say number one would be to get a personal budget in place. Um, it's a huge commitment um, buying a property. Um, it's probably the biggest commitment anyone would would um do in their life to have in their life um so knowing where your money is going and saving is key um so making sure you've got that budget in place every month so making sure you're being able to save and put some money away um it is definitely key uh, number two is once you have a budget 
look at ways to increase your income through side hustles and promotions. So we spoke a lot about side hustles here, but um, not forgetting promotions. So um, promotions at work, it obviously increases your responsibility, but it also increases your salary, hopefully, and your, your bonus package. So that is one way to um, in, to kind of um, uh, work towards getting a property. And also with that, with an increase in salary, you'll be able to then borrow more from the banks. So like we said before, banks at the moment, uh, I think borrow you about 4.5 times your salary. Um, so if you've got an increase in your salary, you'll be able to borrow more. So that's another kind of thing you should look at, not always just a side hustle. Um, and the third and final one is picking a property that makes sense. So if you can't afford a, it can't afford a five bedroom house in Mayfair, then don't look at that. Um, you can look at it as an ambition, but um, in terms of what you can buy now, um, look at stuff within your budget and and it's very easy to go on right moves and, and Zoopla to do that. You can put in your what you can afford, um, a minimum and a maximum, and you can look at properties within that and you can also filter out if you want a flat, if you want a house um, and, and filter out by that. Um, so I definitely think keeping within your budget um, definitely makes sense and, and not to say don't filter out the luxurious houses in Mayfair because that can give you ambition of where you want to be in 5, 10, 15 years time but if you're looking for an actual property that you can possibly afford now then definitely use the filters in Right Move and Zoopla to, to do that and, and what you feel is going to be realistic for, for your budget and don't, don't forget you'll have a mortgage to pay um, so you'd have to work out you use a mortgage calculator to work out what your monthly payments will be because like we spoke about it's not just saving up for the deposit but it's being able to afford your monthly payments as well because once those mortgage payments come out trust me you're not left with a lot all right so just to wrap that up really really quickly step one is to make sure you've got your budget in place you need to know where your money's going before you start trying to put it somewhere else if you don't know where it is now once you get this property it's going to be even worse step two once you have your budget now it's your job to find ways to maximize your income can you get a can you get a side hustle can you make more money with your side hustle can you get a promotion at work all of these things contribute to you being able to get your property and some of you your promotion will be leaving your place of work you've been there way too long they're underpaying you if you've been somewhere for two or for three years or more and you work in corporate you can go somewhere else and get five ten fifteen k more to do near enough the same job with your additional experience now now the third thing is when it comes to picking the property you have to pick something that makes sense it will need work. It will be further away than you think it will need to be. But most importantly, it will be affordable and it will be realistic for you. And often when people talk about getting on the property game, they're always thinking that, ah, oh, I need to stretch myself. It's going to be expensive. That's not the way to do it. Get something that makes sense and will get even cheaper over time. Since buying my place, we've both got pay rises. The place just got cheaper. We can afford to be here even more than we could rather than you buy a place that's at the edge of your limit. Hopefully nothing goes wrong. And then you get a pay rise, you get a promotion and you're just about breaking even. Even with all this new money that you're getting, it's not making a difference to your day to day. You want to start in a strong position so you have an opportunity to continue to grow from there. So, Ross, thank you so much for being on the show today. Everyone has heard a lot about your fitness classes. Some people might even want to come to your East London classes. So where can people get hold of you to find more to find out more about that? 
once again, thank you, thank you so much for having me on the show, um, Joseph. It's been it's been a pleasure to be here. Um, so my um, Instagram handle is Mister underscore RM underscore Fitness, um, and that's where you can find me. So um, it's it's all about what my classes, um, whether they're online or in person classes in East London, and my events that I do. So you can find me there. Um, I also got a little bit on there on my property renovation um, that I recently just did. Um, in Grays and Essex so you can find that there as well and, and see the, the changes that we made amazing so we'll link to all of those in the description and as usual you can find Black Millennial Money on Instagram at BMM Global on Twitter at BMM Global Pod and if you want to send us your dilemmas have a question want to join our Patreon to contribute to this exceptional work we're doing here head over to blackmillennialmoney.com all the information you need is there so we're going to see you next week for another episode of Black Millennial Money where we are talking about how you can make keep invest save and spend and have all the finer things in life see you next week this episode of Black Millennial Money is brought to you by the good people over at Rappy Fresh. What is Rappy Fresh? Rappy Fresh is a clothing spray that's EU certified to kill coronavirus on your clothes, giving you up to four hours of protection, killing 99% of bacteria and germs on all fabrics. Now, for those of you who are trying to get lit, you're trying to go outside, but you also want to protect your family. This is travel size, 100 mil. You can take it on a plane. You can carry it in your handbag. You can pull it in your backpack. You spray it on your clothes and stay protected while you're outside. And then when you get home, you don't necessarily want to put those clothes in the washing machine. This is perfect for that. So if there's any doctors, nurses, police officers listening to this and you don't want to have to wash your clothes all the time, Rappy Fresh clothing spray is the way to do it. Head over to buyrappyfresh.com. Use the discount code BMM10 to save 10% on your next purchase. That's Rappy Fresh at buyrappyfresh.com. This is Black Millennial Money.